back to Easter. Today, we wanted to really take the opportunity to reflect upon what Easter uh, means for us in as much as, you know, post the, re- post the crucifixion and resurrection. And uh, we find ourselves like the disciples did in this week, reflecting upon what it was that has occurred. And of course, we know, we know the story, but to engage with the story is a reminder of just how significant not only the death of Jesus is and the resurrection of Jesus is, but the resurrection appearances. Now, there were 13 times that the scriptures record for us where Jesus appeared to individuals or appeared to a crowd up to 500 people. The final one being uh, when Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. But what we're going to do today is we're going to focus upon two people, one called Cleopas and the other we don't know the name of. Commentators have tried for a long time to guess that person, but we're just going to leave it at that. Cleopas and his friend as they were on their way after the crucifixion and they were heading away to a place called Emmaus. And there they had an encounter with Jesus. And I want us to be able to pick up on this story and help us identify a little bit with the way they were feeling. And that can resonate with how we can often feel in our own faith journey. So here these two were, Cleopas and his friend, walking along a journey they last they had seen of Jesus was he was crucified on the cross. And of course, they were depressed, disillusioned, and defeated. And this is part of a faith journey. You can go from highs and lows. You can go from uh, great expectations to disappointment very, very easily. And maybe some of us could um, acknowledge maybe the feelings that happened for some families this week when the helicopter crashed down off the Auckland Islands. You know, some of New Zealand's finest people go down there to rescue a, a person who is unwell and the, and the helicopter crashes. And for a period of 18 hours or so, no one knew whether they were alive, but the chances were that they were dead because helicopters are very fragile things. And when they hit the water, it's like hitting, hitting concrete. And so the worst thing could have been the result and they could have died. But the following morning, we get this news. I heard it. I was just happened to be driving and... Um, you know, the news came on 12 o'clock and it said, breaking news, they've seen three men walking on the beach on Auckland Island. Yeah, that's awesome, wasn't it? It's just so fantastic to hear that good news. So from defeat, disillusionment, disappointment uh, to this uh, amazing turnaround of that story. And so we know that this is what we're going to experience today. But so much of our faith life can be this run of disappointments and a breakthrough. And we have to become familiar with how we handle both of these sides of our faith story. Because we have expectations, and I'll talk about this a bit more. We have expectations that we project upon God as to how God is going to outwork the the scenarios in my life that are important to me or or might be important to you. So let's have a look at uh, the beginning of this story as these two folks are walking down this road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? 
What things, he said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day and since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. They did not see Jesus. There's some words in here that I think are, um, are very poignant for all of us. At the beginning of this conversation Jesus had with them, these disciples, which they were at one level, um, said these words. They said, but we had hoped. But we had hoped. Those words are some of the saddest words, aren't they? But we had hoped. In other words, there were expectations, and yet because of those expectations, there has been a built-up of excitement and anticipation, but then we hoped, and that fell over. That hope was lost. Now, we've all had this experience before. We had hoped, and we can start to fill in the blanks. We had hoped about our health. We had hoped about our finances. We had hoped about our primary relationships. We had hoped about our business. We had hoped about our kids. These are the stories of our lives. And uh, we need to understand how we actually work this through in a way that allows for the challenges and disappointments of life not to erode our faith away. You see, these two walking down this road are no different to you or me in any given time of our lives. Walking with some questions, walking with some expectations of what it is that should have happened or could have happened, and yet that didn't come to pass. And so here we find that uh, Jesus walks up alongside Cleopas and his friend, and it could be you or me in any given situation where you're feeling distressed, distraught, disillusioned, and defeated, and, and you're going to find yourself now in a place where everything about your faith is now hinging on what happens next with this talk with Jesus. We had hoped. One of the things that we have is that we have this, this um, addiction to security. We have an addiction to security. And the thing about a relationship with Jesus is that it has never given us a security at the level where we can anticipate every move of God and everything that's going to come our way in our life. This addiction to security ends up creating a form of idolatry where we project upon God more than he's ever promised us. But what we have been told by him is that he'll never forsake us and he'll never leave us. But he didn't promise us a bump-free ride. Okay? And so here these guys are walking along this road and let's put a few bumps in the road, okay? In your imagination. Let's put a few valleys in there. Let's put a few bumps in there. And let's create something a little bit more realistic than this flat paved pathway that we anticipate them walking upon. Does it make sense? Yeah. See, we don't know how God is going to outwork his word in our lives, but he has said he'll never forsake us and he'll never leave us. And whilst we're on a bit of a rugby theme, I thought I'd throw in some more rugby stuff because I like using that as an illustration. We can look at life a little bit like a rugby game and we say, we're going to, our team is going to win. 
But then if I was to ask you in more detail and say, how is our team going to win? You can't be any more specific than that, can you? But you can have confidence and hope that your team is going to win. When you look at a rugby game, um, you'll be surprised by who scores the tries, who kicks the goals, who does the tackles. And uh, some of the most classic rugby games that sort of mark uh, New Zealand history have been the World Cup rugby games. You know, All Blacks have lost when they should have won. And uh, back in 2011, uh, they even made a movie about the, the win at Eden Park on that day because the guy who scored the only try for the All Blacks was the front row prop. All big ups to front row props. The most intelligent, good-looking guys on the paddock. Just a little bit of personal insecurity coming out there. Um, and, and then the person who kicked the penalty goal was the fourth selection point for that, for that position. And only a week before that game, the coach rung him up and he was catching whitebait on the Waikato River. Great story. But no one would have picked that, would they? No one could have written the script. But they won by one huge point. <laughs> okay? They won. And you see, we ourselves can't anticipate how God is going to move, even though we're being told that we're on a winning team. Okay? And, and the beauty of that is that we get to walk by faith, not by sight. And that's what this whole journey is about. We want to close the gap, don't we, between the sort of the black and whiteness of our faith. We want the yes and the no, and we want it to be nice and tight. So this is how God operates. Here, yes, here, no. Uh, but life doesn't work that way. Um, God is saying faith exists in the gray that's here, between the black and the white. But we spend our lives trying to squeeze the gray out of it. And how do we do that? Well, we give advice to God, don't we? Tell them what to do, how to do it, when to do it, why to do it, and who to do it to. Yeah? And God is saying, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. I can't even trust you with a picture. Uh, you're not capable of the picture that I carry. But in here is where faith exists, in the uncertainty. That's where our journey is. You don't need faith in Jesus if everything is black and white and you follow a sense of, set of principles and rules. Faith exists in that place of mystery. And that's exactly where these two disciples were as they walked along the road. They were trying to reconcile the mystery of God. It's like we'd seen this miracle man. We'd heard the words of a prophet. He'd astounded us with the things that he said and he did and the way that he acted towards us. And now the last picture that we've got in our minds is of him being crucified on a Roman cross. And just to mess it all up, somebody now says that he's gone from the grave. And we don't know what that means. We don't know what that means. One of the things that um, carries on in this story is how deep the story goes back into the Old Testament. And we start to see that this wasn't an event that just came to pass over three years of Jesus' life, but it was a period of time of history that brought these events together. The first thing that Jesus said to them is said this. He said to them, this is on the road to Emmaus, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, I would love to have eavesdropped on that conversation. You know, if there's any one conversation in all of biblical history 
that I was allowed to be a little little grasshopper on somebody's collar with or, you know, a mouse in the backpack and listen, this would be the one. I just love to have been there when Jesus, uh, probably even without the help of the scrolls, uh, just explained scripture after scripture, verse after verse, prophecy after prophecy of how it was that God lined up this opportunity for the Saviour to come to pay the price for our sins. And that revelation would have been absolutely mind-boggling for those who received it in that moment. That time Cleopas and his friend heard the story as it all came together. Wouldn't that be amazing to hear that? We'd put all of that Old Testament stuff in a lovely context for us, okay? You'd actually understand what Isaiah was saying if you heard that conversation, you know? Okay, <laughs> I'm still working on Isaiah, <laughs> Well, God's working on it with me. But we are asked this question, I suppose quite simply, why did Jesus die? We can see his death and the death that he paid, the price for sin. We can see his resurrection. But the big question is, why? Why this way? Why did this all happen this way? What, could God have created another plan? Could he have given us something uh, bigger or better than that? And I know for myself as a, a young guy being raised in a, ch- in, a, in, a, in a home that we didn't go to church, I can remember going to a Catholic church to attend a wedding. I was eight or nine years old. And it was the first time I've ever been in a, in a sacramental church where you know, there's a lot of icons around, but they had these two portrayals of Christ on the cross, you know, statues. And uh, I can remember vividly staring at these images on the wall, you know, of a a guy who had no shirt on and a loincloth and blood tripping down from his hands and his feet. And I turned to my mum and said, who's that? She says, that's Jesus. I was like, okay. Well, that didn't mean anything more to me, to be perfectly honest. I didn't have an understanding of the story. But for us as, as Christians, we understand that this story is created to allow us in. This isn't God acting independently, but at the point where the resurrection takes place, we are now drawn into the story in a way that has never been given to us before. The coming of the Holy Spirit is still yet to come at Pentecost, but in this moment, suffering and resurrection become our story. They become our journey as well, because we walk with Christ on this bumpy road and our own suffering and our own resurrection experiences are going to be grafted into the story. And it's called what? It's called your testimony. It's called your testimony. Um, A mate of mine, Chris, who's a pastor in Auckland, um, took on this church that was really, really struggling. And they couldn't afford to pay the pastor a salary. Uh, And so what happened was because the church had a building, um, the family, the church family, the pastor's family moved into the church to live there. And um, Chris's son was going to school one day and uh, somebody said to him, oh, where do you live? And he says, oh, in a house down the road. And his father picked up that he had... um, told a lie. And um, he said to him, son, why don't you, um," I'm not using the son's name because it's such an obvious name, you'll you'll know who I'm talking about. He said, son, why did you tell them 
that you lived in a house down the road, not tell them that you lived in the church building. And he says, because I'm embarrassed, Dad. We live in a, in, a, in a church and it means that we've got no money and uh, you know we live by people giving us money. It's sort of like we're beggars living in a church. And, uh, and Chris thought about this for a little while and he said to his son, you know what God's doing for us in a family? He says, no, no. He says, God's giving you a testimony. <laughs> he says, when you're pastoring a church of your own, that's his anticipation, when you're pastoring a church of your own, you're going to be able to tell the people that God took you from being a church mouse to a church leader. And, uh, and so what God is doing through this tough time is He's building your testimony and you're going to be able to glorify God in that. It didn't make much difference to the where he told his mates where he lived, but it uh, sounds like a great start to a great story. And the thing about this story is that because suffering and because resurrection is so much a part of our human experience, we get to paint this into a bigger narrative. We get to paint this into a story that makes us understand that we are part of God's creation. We are part of God's big picture. And the moment we accept Christ, we become part of the story together. It's an amazing thing. Um, we, we know that uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples on a number of occasions. Um, one of the most powerful times was when he appeared to Thomas. Thomas hadn't been there one occasion when he when he had appeared to the disciples. And so Thomas had said, until I can see for myself that Jesus is resurrected, I'm not going to believe. And poor old Thomas, he's known throughout history as doubting Thomas. Hey, poor guy, poor guy, really. You know, he just had one legitimate question and he's known for, in all of history as doubting Thomas. He's probably got heaps of faith, but we write him up as doubting Thomas. But uh, when Jesus did appear to him, he said to Thomas this, I thought this is really amazing for us. He said, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Interesting, eh? How in that moment, talking about faith and this huge narrative, this huge story, he looks at Thomas and he said, you've seen me. But Jesus, anticipating this story being read for thousands of years into the future, he throws a word in there for us. Do you like that? He says, but more blessed are those who have not seen and believe and yet have believed. That's us. This is how we become part of this story. We enter into the story through faith. We too are walking with Jesus. We too are on this road of discovery, just like Cleopas was. And for me, that's just so vitally important. Let's get back to that story. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. It's a bit of a neat trick really, isn't it? <laughs> That's, he's gone. Was that really him? Did, I, did you see that? Okay. There's a sense always eh, that God gives us enough but never too much. And this revelation is exactly the same. Okay. Um, talking about meeting people in a way that you don't expect. I, I was, um, you, many of you know that I did this walk um, 
couple of times now called the Camino. And the last time that I did it, did it with Peter Foster, who's Ian Foster's brother. That's the reason why I've been able to connect with Ian uh, to be here tonight. But um, we were in Perth on the way through. I spoke at a conference and the pastor there, Mark Wilson, said, oh, we've got a friend, uh, Michelle, and she's going to be walking the Camino. And this is her start date. And he told me the start date. And I said, oh, look, that's two weeks after we've already started. So, you know, we're not going to, we're going to be hundreds of kilometres ahead of her. Um, so chances are I won't see her. Nothing more said. Well, anyway, we're about halfway through the Camino and walking along one day, and there were two women in front of us, in front of Peter and I. And we slowly caught up with them and started to introduce ourselves. And they said, oh, we're from Australia. We said, we're from New Zealand. They said, oh, we're from Perth. And I said, oh, I've got a mate of mine who does a lot of walking in Perth, and this is Mark I'm talking about. Uh, in fact, he's just nearly finished the Biblin track, which is 1,000 kilometres. He's been doing it in stages. And without even flinching, she had her guidebook in her hand. She just went whack right in my guts. And she goes, you're Mark Wilson's friend, aren't you? And I'm like, what? And she was like, I was told you are going to be here. And then I said, I was told you were going to be here too, but I was told you are going to be hundreds of kilometres further back. She goes, oh, no, no, we started halfway because I only had a certain amount of time. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay, so it all makes sense now, you see. The reason I say that is simply because, you know, life is like that. You never know who you're going to meet, when you're going to meet them, when you're on this journey walking, okay, as we are. And you, you know so often that the Christian experience is, is referred to in the very passage that we're, ta we're talking about here. We, we talk a lot about our walk with God, don't we? And this is where that saying comes from. We're walking with God. And when you're walking with God, you have an expectation that he's going to come up alongside you and speak with you and reveal to you things that he wants you to know. That he wants you to know. So let's, let's carry on. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. Now, there's a really great discipleship saying here that I think is really important for us to pick up on. And these, these are the words. It says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is a great description of how God talks to us. And we need to have hmm, smoke detectors, okay, of, of, of what it is that's going on in your life. Smell the smoke. What's burning? My heart is burning. Why is it burning? Well, God's speaking to me. And these are really, really vital parts of our Christian discipleship, really important things about our Christian faith, because we need to know when our heart is burning and when God's speaking to us. But it's very, very easy to, to um, call the fire brigade every time that happens. It's like, oh, I don't think I really want God to speak to me because I'm quite comfortable where I am, thanks very much. Or at least those around me have accommodated my bad attitude, my bad behaviours, my bad habits, and all those other things. And so I'm quite happy where I am, thank you very much. I don't need improving. But God is always at work in our lives, 
chipping away at the things that don't look like Jesus. Does it make sense? And we could all identify the things that don't look like Jesus in our spouses, in our children, okay? That's, that's the way it goes. But God is speaking to us. And what we identify with these words is just how it is that God does speak to us. Our hearts are burning. And maybe you've never had a relationship with Christ before. And maybe you're here on the basis of inquiry, just trying to work out what it is that this God stuff is all about. God could be speaking to you right now and your heart is burning. There's something going on. You're going, I haven't experienced this before, but I feel I need to respond. I need to do something to connect with what is going on. It's a spiritual awakening happening in your life where God is speaking to you and it's a burning, literally a burning feeling, an overwhelming feeling that you need to do something in response to this, this message. And so that's the way that the disciples described it to one another. Weren't our hearts burning? And let's not, let's not pull out the hoses and douse down what God is doing in your life when these are the very things by which God speaks to you, when he says, come, follow me. So we're going to go now to the final part of uh, this passage when Jesus once again appears to the disciples. Whilst they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you, which is kind of an understatement really, isn't it? <laughs> the scripture goes on to say, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Okay, and Jesus says, Shalom, peace be with you. Okay, which I, I think is a real uh, funny sort of thing to do, really, because Jesus would have been freaking these guys out, okay, by appearing to them literally like a ghost. They start to accuse him of being a ghost. And uh, let me read that again. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Let's just stop there for a second. They couldn't believe this was Jesus. Why? Because of their joy and amazement. Now, I remember when, I, uh, when we were raising our family and um, I managed to get hold of this uh, secondhand motorbike and my son was riding a motorbike and uh, we, we wheeled it up into the house and we stuck it in the corner of his bedroom. And then we told him to go, go to his bedroom and get a jersey, you know. And so he goes into his bedroom and he sees this motorbike and he just couldn't believe it. The joy and amazement, you know. I can't believe you got me a motorbike. I can't believe you got me a motorbike. And, uh, and so all he could say was, I can't believe it, even though the evidence was right there in front of him. You had that experience? It's cool, eh? I can't believe it. Yeah, it's like when I do the dishes and my wife says the same thing. Yeah, I can't believe it. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. So he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, 
the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. The second time in one day that Jesus has said, you need to understand the scriptures. You need to understand what the words of the prophets were saying and the law of Moses. And by doing this, Jesus is pointing towards the scriptures and pointing towards our understanding of what it is that we must have to be followers of Jesus. And so we're going to finish this morning by breaking bread together. Um, last week, if you were here during our production time, we didn't do what is a tradition of breaking bread on Easter. But today we're going to break bread. And uh, I'm going to allow us some space and time to do something that uh, you probably don't do very often. And that is going to have a couple of minutes silence. You'll feel the tension in the room as the silence extends because we're so used to having our lives filled with noise. But what I'd like you to do in that silence is close your eyes and imagine that you're on that road. Is that road dusty? Is it bumpy? And Jesus is drawing alongside you. And what is it that he's saying that's going to burn your heart today? Now, the communion elements are going to be handed out, but just be interrupted by that. Don't wait for that. And just allow this time for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let's do that. Father, we, we thank you that you point us back, point us back to these simple elements of the bread and the wine. And you, told, you tell us to remember the night that Jesus was betrayed and how he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. And then in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And he said that he would not drink it with us again until we enter into this new kingdom with him. And so, God, we, we take this meal and we know that it's a meal that bridges eternity. It's a meal that we eat here and now, but it's a meal that we won't have with, again with you until such a time as we're with you. And so, God, we, we thank you for these elements, for they remind us of the sacrifice you made your body and blood poured out for us a once for all sacrifice that allows us to graft our lives into your body as we too take these elements and in a physical sense Lord we bring these elements into our body but in a metaphysical sense we are grafted in with you by your spirit and so we thank you Lord that as we do this our eyes too are opened by the breaking of bread. We're reminded afresh of your great love for us. And we thank you, Lord, that, 
that happens because we need reminding. We need the simplicity of silence, the beauty of these simple elements, and just a reminder that we're your children created in your image, given life, given purpose, and given eternity. So we now eat and we now drink together, for we are your body, the body of Christ, the church. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen.